Hello, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is John Cavell. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at DSBC. Uh, it's an honor to be here again and a pleasure to be speaking from one of my favorite psalms in the Bible on this issue of confusion. And confusion is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I personally spend a lot of time in that state of confusion. So I'm very familiar with it and I'm looking forward to talking about it. We're continuing a series that Caleb started last week called Playlist 2020. We're looking at different psalms, which were poems and writings and reflections and lyrics that were often set to music in the temple for the worship of God's people. And today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 73, which was written by a guy named Asaph, who is kind of the equivalent of Danny Hunkin in the temple. So he was a worship leader, and he wrote this song. And it's a very personal reflection on part of somebody who is really struggling with kind of a crisis of faith. And if you've ever had anything that you would call a crisis of faith, you can relate to what Asaph is going through. So we're just going to jump right in to Psalm 73. We're going to start right at the top, and we're going to work our way through. Psalm 73 has a lot to it, a lot of content, so we're not going to be able to touch on every single issue. We're just going to focus on the parts where Asaph is expressing this issue of confusion and how he's dealing with it and how he seeks to resolve it in his own mind, in his own heart, and in his own life. And so starting in verse 1, he says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Now, what he's describing there is somebody who's losing their balance because this, this thing that's confusing him, this issue he's going to talk about is just is, is making him feel like he's standing on one foot, that he's losing his balance. But he's going to go on and he starts explaining what exactly it is that's troubling him, what's confusing him so much. He says, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. And then he goes on in the next verse. In verse 5, he says, they're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Now, what's happening is here, he's revealing this conflict. Now, he started out by saying, okay, God is good to God's people. And in what he's implying there is kind of like it's supposed to be. God's good to God's people. But, he says, he found himself being envious of those who don't believe God, who, who reject God, who are really enemies of God. And then in verse 5, he says, they're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. But if we read between the lines a little bit, we see what he really means when he says that, because they're not, but they ought to be. They should be in trouble like others. They're not, but they should be afflicted like most people. See, this is where Asaph is being very transparent right from the get-go. See, in Israel's history, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, we could sum up the Old Testament in a couple of sentences. God said, worship only me, and I'll provide for you, and I'll protect you. Don't worship me, and I withdraw my provision, and I'll withdraw my protection. 
So all throughout the Old Testament, you see God's people, especially from Abraham onward, that when they worshiped God alone, God provided for them and God protected them. But then when they would get cozy with other nations and they start worshiping false gods and they start going, well, they have really cool rituals over there. Let's worship that God too. And, and hey, they have great parties. So let's go worship with those guys too. And the God would say, no, you don't get to worship all these different gods. You get to worship me, the one God, the one true God, the creator of the universe. And if you're not going to worship me, then I'm going to withdraw my protection and I'm going to withdraw my provision. And so Asaph is looking at his life and he's saying, look, I worship only God. And so I'm expecting that God provide for me, God protect me, God bless me. But now wait a minute. There's all these people that shake their fist at God, that curse God, that don't believe in God, that basically they're hostile toward God's people and they're not doing so bad. How come they're okay? In fact, Asaph even confesses he's envying them. They're, they're these wicked people, and he's envious of them. And that could sound really odd, and we may say, how would I even relate to a guy like Asaph? Well, Asaph is probably a little more like us than we may want to admit. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm a little more like Asaph than I want to admit sometimes. I don't like to admit it, but yeah, sometimes I struggle with how come God's blessing them, but not how come they get, you know, that kind of blessing. And I didn't get that kind of blessing. What did I do wrong? And so we're going to keep going on. In verse 6, he says, Therefore pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. When he says violence, it means someone who's exploiting the weak, the poor, the powerless. In verse 7, he says, their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run wild. It says, they mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They, they set their mouths against heaven. And their tongues strut across the earth. And this is how they sum it up. Well, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, though, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase in their wealth. And this is one of the things that happens when we get confused, when we get frustrated. Suddenly our verbiage, and you can see it kind of subtly change with Asaph here, we start speaking in all or nothing terms. Because look, the wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? And what they're saying is, there's no God that knows everything. There's no omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And then he says, look at them, the wicked, all of them. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. He starts using words like always, and we'll see this even more. And you know, there's, I have kind of a rule of thumb. I always say, always, never, use always and never. But they start speaking and all of them are always doing this. All of them never do that. Well, okay, Asaph, is there anything else? You got a lot of complaints here. And maybe you can relate, like I just said. I sure can. You know, we think about the people that we have a problem with. The people that are posting things we disagree with. The people that are saying things that we disagree with. Maybe we almost violently disagree with them. We disagree with their politics. And we wonder, God can't agree with them because 
I know God, and if I thought God would agree with them, then I would agree with them. And since I don't agree with them, then God probably doesn't agree with them either. So we disagree, and we don't like what they believe about politics, sexuality, personal values, faith, parenting, educated children, social distancing practices, or lack thereof, or what they protest, or what they don't protest. I don't like that guy because he protests this thing that I think is good, but I don't like that guy because he doesn't protest this thing that I think is bad. And there's always going to be a whole bunch of people that we don't like, and we think God doesn't like them either. He must not like them because God likes me, and if I liked them, then God would like them. Or, wait a minute, maybe that's not the way we're supposed to think. So in verse 13, Asaph we start to really see where he's at. He says in verse 13, Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. See, here's Asaph's real problem. I'm trying to do the right thing, and I don't have it so easy. Things go wrong in my life. Maybe the money's not always there. Maybe people aren't always good to me. Maybe I have a hard day with my boss. I had a fight with my spouse. I'm trying to do the right thing. And then I have a hard day. How come these wicked, horrible people that don't care anything about God, they seem to have it easy, all of them, all the time? Well, we know that's not true, but that's the way it feels. That's the way it feels. If you jump down to verse 16, he says, When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. He's ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up. You know, it's not enough that God is blessing me for for worshiping him. I want him to curse the wicked. (laughs) I I want him to not only, I don't want him to bless the, the bad people, I want him to curse them. And I'm a little ticked that he doesn't. And you feel like kind of saying, well, Asaph, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? You know, you're, you're, instead of enjoying God's blessing that you say you have, your whole focus is on other people that you don't like because of the way they act And because of the way that God acts about them in ways that you disapprove. And it's confusing. It's frustrating. You're getting angry and saying that it seems hopeless. And you're ready to just chuck your faith and walk away because it seems like you're just, it's all in vain. It's all useless. And that's where we, he's allowing his confusion to take him. He's allowing his confusion and his frustration to take him to a place he doesn't want to go. He never set, he never woke up in the morning and said, I want to get really mad at God, so I'm just going to focus all my energy on people I don't like, doing things I don't like for reasons I don't like, and I don't like the fact that God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. When he could have gone the opposite way. And maybe that's the way you feel when you open social media or you watch the news, and you feel like going, God, (laughs) why aren't you doing something about this? 
And then, and then you hear somebody who claims to believe in the same God you do saying something that is totally sideways with which you believe. And man, what are you supposed to do about that? And we realize God's not maybe listening to me when I'm telling him how to act with all these people. And then finally, down in verse 23, Asaph has a moment of clarity. He hits rock bottom emotionally in his confusion, and he kind of has that moment of clarity. And he says, all right, God. He finally surrenders. He goes, all right, God. Mm, I can't do anything about this. And maybe it's actually not my job to be thinking about the wicked and what you ought to be doing. Maybe, God, you can actually do this on your own without me advising you. Did you ever notice how God doesn't put together focus groups in terms of how to deal with people? I've never been invited by God to a focus group where he could say, John, you know, we've got these kind of people on the earth and they do this kind of stuff. What do you think we ought to do about that? I know, because I have opinions. And God doesn't invite those opinions. I keep waiting. I keep checking my mail. I keep checking my email. I check my text. And there's no message from God saying, hey, John, I need your help with this. Well, no wonder it's all messed up. No, not a bit. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, yet I'm always with you. He's saying this to God. He's secure. He's, God's not going anywhere. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? Are you seeing a trend here? Because now he's not talking about the bad people, not talking about how he feels. Look what he's talking about now. You, God, you, you, your, you. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth, nothing in this messed up life, but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When his focus went off of himself and off of all the people he doesn't like to surround him, and he put his focus on God. Everything changes. And this whole idea of being a child of God, follower of Christ, this may be a new idea for you. It may be a, a new-ish idea. It may be an old idea. But you still find yourself in one of these kind of spots where, what if we don't understand God? What if God does stuff that confuses us and we can't do the math and make sense of it? What if part of trusting God and living by faith means saying, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. As I was working through this, 
I kind of came up with a few questions to ask myself when I deal with this issue. The first one is, what's my entitlement? What do I think God owes me? Asaph started out basically saying, look, God, you owe me. You know, you owe me to bless me because I'm, I walk with you, I'm devoted with you, so you owe me your blessing. But then Asaph tacked onto that, and you owe me not seeing bad people prosper. And God's going, no, I don't owe you that. Do we convince ourselves that God owes us something? Does God owe us attention? Does God owe us obedience to our opinion? No. Second thing is this. Who are my quote-unquote bad people? Who are the people that I look at and go, oh, it, God would, should not bless them. They're wrong. They're bad. Even, the, even though they say they worship the same God, there's no way God likes that. Because if God liked that, I would like that. So God must not like that because I don't like that and because I know the mind of God. Who are your bad people? Who are the ones that you think God ought to withhold blessing from? Who are the ones that you would say to Jesus, you should not be blessing that person? You should not be letting them get away with that. What if Jesus said, yeah, I let you get away with stuff. Well, but that's different. No, it's not. Who are my bad people? Who are the people that I got a problem with that I think God shouldn't bless, but yet God loves them? Don't you hate admitting that? That Jesus died on the same cross on the same day for those people that I don't like, but he died for me. That the same death that Jesus died for me, he died for every person I don't like. Every person I've ever hated. Every person I've ever wished punishment on. Every person I've ever wished condemnation upon. Every person I've ever judged Jesus died for them on the same day, on the same cross. He died for me. And you know, when we're confused, when we're going through hard emotional times, there's a question that everybody asks. Three-letter word. Why? But what we don't always ask is this. Why do I ask why? When I say, why, God, do you allow that? What's implied in that? If I'm at work and my boss comes around and says, hey, Cavell, why did you do this? Do I owe her an answer? Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, because she's the boss. But now if I go to my boss and I say, hey, why did you do this? Does my boss owe me an answer? No, because she's the boss and I'm not. And so why do we ask why? Do we ask why because we think God owes us an answer? We think, do we ask why because God owes us an explanation that we can make sense of? What if the answer to the why question made it worse? Why do I ask why? And does God owe me an answer? Because sometimes we ask why because what? We're expecting an answer. Why, God? Um, 
none of your business. <laughs> yeah, none of your business. Go mind your business. Why do I ask why? And lastly, here's this. Pray honest prayers. You know the cool thing about some of the Psalms, kind of like this one from Asaph and one that Caleb looked at last week. They're honest. Can I pray honestly? Because you know what? God can handle my honesty. God can handle me saying, God, I don't understand this. God's not afraid of me saying, I'm mad at you. I remember one time years ago when my daughter was really, really little, she wanted to get up early and go with me to church. I always went, got up early and went and got things ready and stuff, and she was going to get up and go with me. But the Saturday night we had people over, and she was up too late. And so I was putting her to bed and kissing her goodnight, and I said, Honey, we're going to have to do that another week, maybe next week, but it's, you know, you're going to bed too late and it'll be up too early. She just bursts into tears because she really wanted to go. Now, I could have tried to convince her that she's not going to understand. It's not going to make sense to her. So I just had to let her cry and be mad and eventually fall asleep. But you know what? I understand. I'm her dad. I love her. I, I get it. Can I pray honestly to God? Can I say, God, this makes me mad. This makes me confused. Is God afraid of my vocabulary? No. Is God afraid of my emotions? Nope. Is God afraid of my conclusions, even if they're wrong? Absolutely not. See, God's not going to walk away because he doesn't agree with what you pray. Because God loves you. He loves you. In your confusion, in your frustration, in your anger, in your everything, God loves you. You know, in the Psalm 37, it says this, says, do not be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy those who do wrong. Trust in the Lord and do what's good. So the writer is acknowledging that, yeah, sometimes we're agitated. But the answer to our confusion and our frustration is to trust in God. In Luke, Jesus said to people who were concerned for their lives even, for persecution, he said, hey, look, no matter how bad things get, God loves you. God values you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He's paying attention to you. And you're so important to him, he knows stuff about you that you don't know. He can handle your confusion. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your anger. He can handle your lament. So bring him. Bring him with honesty. See what God does. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love and forgiveness, all of which and so much more you give us top to bottom, side to, say, all, side, to side, all day, every day, in infinite supply. God, thank you that you already know what's on our mind. You already know how we feel about it, right and wrong. 
and you're not afraid of it. And you want us to come to you in our most brutal honesty with our most honest words and lay it out so that you can then come in and fill us up and take our focus off ourselves and how we feel and what we don't like and all the people we're mad at and put our focus back on you where it belongs. God, for each person watching this, I pray that you bless them today, that you work in your life, that you would bless your word as it connects with them. In Jesus' name, amen.